what's happening with Iowa's labor market and what happens in the state of Iowa if there is a railroad strike. We'll ask Iowa State University economist Peter Arazam on this edition of Iowa Press. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com. For decades, Iowa Press has brought you political leaders and newsmakers from across Iowa and beyond, celebrating 50 years of broadcast excellence on statewide Iowa PBS. This is the Friday, November 25th edition of Iowa Press. Here is Kay Anderson. Our guest today is an economist who's been on the Iowa State University faculty since 1982 after earning degrees at the University of Kansas and Yale University. He is an expert on the labor market. He also does research about transportation economics. So welcome back to the program, Peter Arazam. Thank you. Joining the conversation today, Clay Masters of Iowa Public Radio and Aaron Murphy of the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. We have the uh, looming possibility of a railroad uh, a strike between railroad workers and companies. If, if that happens, and especially if that is a protracted event, what kind of impact could that have on the economy generally and, and, and here in Iowa? Well, certainly uh, having uh, the, the potential strike, the cooling off period is expiring in December 4th for some of the railroads, December 8th for others. Uh, the strike's going to affect some of the things that you really need in the wintertime. So coal is, of course, one of the things that we see rolling across Iowa in, in, in the wintertime, and, and that's uh, one of the things that they really worry about is whether or not we'll be able to maintain uh, supplies of energy, particularly particularly if it's a really bad winter. Uh, so that's but, a worry about energy prices then possibly? No, it's a worry about whether you have enough coal to run. Uh, there's still a lot of, of coal-fired electric utilities around the country, uh, but you also have uh, heating oil and so on, so it would be a strict supply uh, issue. And so the question is, you know, how patient will the government be if uh, a strike actually uh, occurs? Uh, and how is this going to play out? So some of the unions have already said that they're willing to maintain the cooling off period for a longer period of time, even if some of the other unions uh, decide to go on strike. Some of the other unions have said they would um, uh, recognize the strike and, and, and then go in, in support of, of their, their, their co-workers' strikes. So uh, how this plays out still remains to be seen, but Congress could step in and mandate that uh, the unions operate under the, the proposed settlement, and, and that's another possibility. And can you kind of explain for us how, how did we get here and you know, what are the workers asking for? What, what, what's the conflict that has led us to this point? Well, uh, usually it's, it's, it's wages. Uh, that isn't the big dispute now. It's, it's hours, and in particular, flexibility of hours. So we know nationally, that we're still about 1% below where we ought to be in terms of total employment. So uh, there's about 3.8 million unfilled vacancies per month. 
uh, well, that's affecting then staffing. And for uh, the uh, railroads, it means that they've been much less able to give people time off on, on vacations and, and flexible time for family emergencies and so on. And so it's actually flexibility that's been the biggest uh, 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 point of contention between management and labor in this case. Well, let's take a bird's eye view of striking in America right now. And, and even here in Iowa, a year ago, John Deere factory workers were on strike in Gredion and Cedar Rapids. We're still seeing some striking going down in southeast Iowa and Burlington. Um, is this a temporary thing or is this going to be more long term? Because this is certainly uh, making its way into the rotation of headlines in Iowa uh, much more regularly than it has in the last several decades. That's right. So uh, you, this is a particularly good period uh, for strikes, right? If you have a lot of unfilled vacancies and uh, 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 firms are constantly talking about the fact that they're having trouble filling slots, uh, workers are in a pretty good bargaining position. You also have uh, inflation at 7 to 8%, which also means there's uh, an ability to, to pass on some of the, the cost of increased labor uh, wages and benefits to, uh, to the consumer. Um, and, but on the other hand, the actual incidence of strikes is relatively modest, and it follows a longer-term trend of declining uh, labor disruptions nationally. And certainly with the public sector workers in 2017 here in Iowa, when those rights were taken away, uh, th that has led to the, the, the not a concern about any kind of strikes for, for public sector workers. There's restrictions on the ability of public sector workers to strike anyway. So they can negotiate, but uh, in Iowa you would not be able to, to go on strike, I don't believe. So uh, in some places it's legal for, say, teachers to go on strike. Uh, those sorts of, of, of rights are limited, and, and they're limited by state law. Let's talk about limits on the Mississippi River, talking about transportation economics again. Barge traffic seems to be bogging down, if you will. What impact does that have in Iowa, especially rural Iowa, as, as farmers and elevators are trying to move the crop out? Right, so your, your options are, are somewhat limited. Uh, so going back to the rail strike, one of the options is right. rail. Uh, and, and certainly a lot of, of, of grain, uh, heavy, uh, non-perishable <laughs> stuff gets, gets uh, transported by rail. And so rail is a good option uh, in place of, of barge. And barge traffic hasn't been eliminated, but they can't fill the barges as as, as much as they have been in the past. And so it's, it's uh, reduced the amount of barge traffic on the Mississippi. Uh, so I think the option depends on whether or not rail is going to be uh, uh, a substitute for, for, for missing uh, barge traffic. We know that there's less grain in, in, uh, that's getting down to the Gulf. We know there's mm -hmm. strong world demand for grain so the problem is if it can't get down there, then that's going to transfer back to a lower price that farmers are going to get at the co-op uh, or the elevator or their local uh, purchasing um, uh, agent. So it, you could end up with one of these odd things that there's a bigger gap between the price of, say, corn or, or soybeans uh, in Louisiana relative to the price of corn and soybeans uh, in Iowa. 
Uh, you touched on this earlier. We wanted to ask you about the state of Iowa's workforce right now. The unemployment rate just ticked up a little bit, but it's still under 3%. Um, the state workforce development uh, department was touting um, that it has recovered the, the jobs that were lost uh, from the pandemic. Uh, but I believe that, to, to your point, we're still not at the total workforce level we were before the pandemic, right? But what's your big picture view of the Iowa workforce uh, right now? Iowa workforce is still about 1% below where we were pre-pandemic in terms of employment. Uh, labor force participation is actually uh, about 2%. So we're lagging the rest of the U.S. in terms of recovery uh, of employment, and that's holding back actually uh, the Iowa economy. So we've had three straight quarters of negative uh, gross state product, which you know would meet the classic definition of a recession. Uh, I don't know what the third quarter, uh, the third quarter numbers are going to be coming out, uh, and we'll see how the state did uh, in the third quarter. But uh, you know that's not helping us. Is the fact that. Uh, we have not been able to recover our previous level of, of employment. What's holding us back? Why, why haven't we gotten that? We back? had one of the oldest uh, labor forces in the country. And uh, if you look at Iowans under the age of 45, labor force participation rates actually went up. Uh, it's uh, Iowans over 45 where labor force participation rates went down, and they really went down for people over 55. So. It didn't affect Florida because people in Florida, they go to Florida to retire. So they were already out of the labor market. Iowans who stayed in Iowa were not retired. They were atypically working. Uh, and so they atypically dropped out of the labor market relative to the rest of the U.S. And as a consequence, we don't think that they're coming back. And so that's going to be uh, holding back the Iowa com economy in terms of its ability to make up for, for its lost labor. And that sounds like a challenge because this state has already had troubles growing its population over the past decade, right? We have the ninth highest fraction of the population born in state. So we don't attract a lot of people uh, from other, other places. Uh, Nevada actually has the lowest fraction of its population born in state. So people go there, lose all their money, and they can't leave. <laughs> so, uh, but literally, if you look at what the sources of replacement labor in Iowa, it's really hard to come up with another one other than, other than immigration, which is, uh, the, has been the buffer for, for the Iowa labor force for many years. So the federal government implemented some things to try to help people during the pandemic, the early months and years, I guess, of the pandemic. Uh, the, I'm thinking of the extended unemployment, the child tax credit. These things have kind of gone by the wayside. H have we seen, you know, was the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak, as far as uh, getting people back into the labor market by taking away some of these kinds of incentives? If you look, if you compare government transfers during the Great Recession with government transfers in uh, the pandemic recession, it's clear that the, the transfers during the, the pandemic recession were atypically large and atypically poorly targeted. So they did, didn't just go to the poor or the people who needed the money, they went to uh, people uh, all the way into the uh, upper tail of the income distribution if you look at the, the PPP transfer programs. And so as a consequence, a disproportionate share of the uh, government transfer payments during the pandemic were actually saved. 
And they were saved because, number one, the people didn't need the money. Number two, we didn't have a whole lot we could spend on, right? We shut down uh, restaurants, bars, uh, hotels, transportation, and so on. And since uh, uh, the economy started to reopen, people have been spending that. So consumer demand has been atypically high. And that's clearly fueling inflation. If you're saying, does it have an impact on the labor supply, the answer is probably yes, but atypically the same people who have exited the labor market in the biggest numbers. The older workers who thought, well, we can use these transfer payments to work our way through. At the time, uh, their 401ks were doing great. Uh, we didn't have inflation. And so we had a lot of people who probably retired a little bit earlier in their work careers than they anticipated. One of the things that's interesting is we also had an atypically large number of people retiring at the ages of 45 to 55. That's the peak of your lifetime earnings. Mm. And we now have survey data that some of those people regret having dropped out because they dropped out at the peak of their uh, uh, earnings potential with a firm. Those jobs have now gone to somebody else and they're finding that when they go back in the labor market, the, the jobs that they can get are not paying what the jobs that they left, even with wage inflation that we've had. Another federal program was the, or legislation was the Inflation Reduction Act. What kind of an impact have you seen uh, as you crunch the numbers here in Iowa that that's had? We've seen some dollars come into Iowa. What's your read of that? Well, uh, well, number one, I mean, you know, the, it, it didn't really reduce inflation. I mean, the only inflation reduction was in the title, I think, but, uh, but clearly there's going to be winners and losers in, in, in those policies. So you see massive increases in, in, in say, uh, the demand or production for electric vehicles, for example. Well, that's effectively a transfer away from other things that we were producing, and so you're going to get some inflationary pressure just from the shift of resources from, say, um, uh, uh, I mean, just for that example, uh, producing internal combustion engines, which take uh, atypically assembly line workers uh, uh, with educations at the high school or associates level, and we're going to transfer some of those uh, that demand to uh, software and computer engineers, uh, but a much smaller labor uh, uh, component to the production of those vehicles, and certainly uh, a different type of worker than the ones who are currently producing um, a traditional automobile. You mentioned the internal combustion engine. What's your assessment of the economics of the proposed carbon capture pipelines? Well, that's a little bit difficult. I mean, you're dealing with uh, um, a, a pipeline that exists in part because of some other government programs that increase the demand for ethanol above what would be occurring in, in the absence of, of, those, uh, uh, of those subsidies. And now we have another program where apparently another federal program aimed at, at sub, uh, supporting um, uh, the um, uh, renewable resource industry is going to help pay for the pipeline. So it's a little harder to talk about What's the economic value if neither of those two uh, businesses would have existed absent the federal, uh, the, the federal intervention? So 
I, I think it's it's arguable as to what the 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 net value is if you took into account uh, the the government uh, the government support programs. The state uh, revenue department just announced the new tax brackets uh, for next calendar year um, as a result of some recent uh, legislation at the state house. Uh, the number of brackets are getting fewer and the rates are coming down a little bit. So. We know from Iowans' individual bottom lines that state income tax rate will come down and they'll have more money in their pocketbook. What's, what's your view of, what's the analysis tell you about those kinds of uh, income tax reductions and whether that's ultimately good for the state's economy as a whole? Well, um, I mean, there are costs and benefits uh, to, to income taxes. Some of the work that we've done on, on taxes suggests that, that property taxes are more distortionary than income taxes or sales taxes. And certainly at state borders, property taxes are more distortionary relative to... And when you say distortionary, you mean? I mean, uh, they, they, they change where or how people spend their money. Uh, one of the things that we've, we've been able to show is that if you look at states uh, with... Uh, uh, different levels of property tax at the borders, property values are higher on the side with the lower property taxes, as you might guess, because you have to equalize the after-tax cost uh, of property. Income taxes don't have as much uh, of an impact, and in part because I think people can live on either side of the border and they can work on either side of the border, and so you end up with, with some of that effect being, uh, being more limited. Iowa does not take a multi-tax view when they do tax legislation. They say, okay, we're going to fix this. Um, but it's, I mean, I, I, I used to be on the Ames City Council. It, it, the limitations, for example, on the use of sales tax in Iowa mean that we have higher property taxes than we should have. And as a consequence, we actually end up with uh, uh, non-competitive tax structure overall compared to most of our surrounding states. And it's not driven by the income tax, it's driven by, uh, by the property tax. So if you had the ear of a state lawmaker, it <laughs> sounds like would you recommend doing something about property taxes? I, well, I would certainly uh, think about giving more power to the uh, metro areas to use their sales taxes. Uh, sales, uh, com taxes on, on, on consumer items are less of a problem than taxes on either income or property. And, and they tend to be less uh, consequential at state borders as well. One of the things that Governor Kim Reynolds said recently was that her goal is to get to no income tax in Iowa by the end of the four-year term that she just won from Iowa voters. Is that a good idea looking at South Dakota, which I believe uses the sales tax and property tax to basically run their government functions? You could do it that way if you're willing to let the sales tax rise. Otherwise, you're going to starve your ability to, do, uh, uh, to provide public goods. Uh, a lot of the states that don't have income taxes, Texas, Wyoming, uh, Alaska, uh, are able to do that because they have uh, carbon fuels that they produce and they make the disproportionate share of their, uh, of their needed uh, revenues by taxing uh, natural resources. We don't have that unless we're going to tax the wind, right? Uh, and so um, uh, I think you would have to look uh, 
perhaps a little bit more broadly in terms of how you set tax policy. It seems to me that shifting toward more of a, a consumer tax method away from income tax, but certainly away from property tax, would benefit the state. Let's talk about rural Iowa for a moment and farmland. Uh, up near Sheldon, it was $30,000 an acre is what somebody paid for a 73-acre tract. Uh, this, I remember 10 years ago feeling like farmland prices were skyrocketing. I mean, where's, is there a bottom to this? I mean, or I mean, is there a top to this? So how, how high is this going to get? And what does that say about the farm economy in the state? Well, um, farmland rose about 10% in the last year. Um, and farm prices uh, in 2022 are not as, as strong as they were in 2021, but generally... Uh, the farm economy has been atypically strong, and we find that land prices react uh, uh, very rapidly to changing anticipated returns per acre. I don't think 30000 is necessarily... There must be another story to that, right? Uh, but, uh, um, uh, but, but certainly there's upward pressure on land prices reflecting the worldwide increase in commodity prices over the last two years. Uh, whether that lasts or not depends on, on, on some things that are pretty much outside our control, right? So what's going to happen to war in Europe? Uh, what's going to happen to uh, production in, in South America? Um, but should be uh, there's going to be upward pressure on land prices in the near term. You mentioned the war in Europe there. Is, as the war in, in the Ukraine uh, continues, does that have the potential to... Uh, have any kind of impact uh, uh, on the the economy here in the United States? Certainly on grain prices, the answer is yes, uh, especially if they continue to make it difficult for grain to come out of, uh, of Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine is pretty much the breadbasket for for um, uh, that that part of the world, and and certainly there are a lot of countries that depend on on Ukrainian grain for for food. Um, it's, it's much more consequential for Europe uh, if you look at, at energy. In terms of world prices, uh, I mean, uh, Russian production of oil hasn't really changed. They just found new customers. So they're selling in massive amounts to India and uh, China, making up for their lost sales uh, to, to Europe. But Europe, of course, is going to face higher energy costs. And that has an indirect effect on us because they're a big customer for us. And so if we end up with uh, energy prices or energy access uh, leading to recession in Europe, we're going to get a shadow of that here in the United States and certainly here in Iowa. Clay? I want to rewind back to when we were talking about farmland prices. How would you describe the rural economy right now in the state of Iowa? Well, uh, actually, it's, it's urban areas where we've had the, the slower recovery in terms of jobs than in rural Iowa. And the answer is because rural Iowa doesn't have a lot of hospitality jobs in the, in the, in the urban areas, particularly Cedar Rapids and Iowa City and Dubuque have been hit hard in terms of their loss of, of um, uh, uh, restaurant, bar, and, and, uh, and hotel income. And, and, and that just wasn't that much of an issue for, for rural Iowa. So rural Iowa is actually doing a little bit better uh, than, than some of the metro areas. The only two metro areas that have actually regained their previous employment levels are, are Des Moines and Ames. So central Iowa is doing great. 
the places on, 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 on the rivers are, are not doing as well. What sets those apart? I'm just curious uh, when you think about the, the economies of Cedar Rapids and Dubuque and Davenport versus Des Moines and Ames. Finance is done atypically well, and okay. that's benefiting Des Moines, even though we have a few hiccups for some of the firms. Uh, there's a lot of jobs, and, and, and those firms have tended to do pretty well. Another area that's done relatively well is warehousing and, and shipping. And once again, central Iowa has an advantage. So as we ship, shifted from uh, bricks and mortar retail to Amazon e-retail, uh, there's a lot of jobs related to getting that product then to the, to the home. And, and, and central Iowa is atypically um, uh, benefited by that. I do think that Iowa City and Cedar Rapids got hit by their relatively more aggressive shutdown of, of their local economies, which atypically hurt their hospitality industry. So for example, uh, when the Big Ten decided not to have uh, fans in the stands, that was not good for trying to maintain your, your business uh, in, if you're in, in restaurants, bars, and, and hotels in Iowa City and Cedar Rapids. So, so, and, and we've seen a really slow recovery of that sector in those two cities. Professor, after a discussion of these very serious issues, you are also involved in something called the Comedy College. I'm the teaching assistant. <laughs> at Iowa State University. Um, in the closing half minute we have, what's the value of comedy in our modern times? Well, comedy has always been a, a, a way of, of looking at your problems and getting through them. So I do think that there is a little bit of that. In terms of our students, I will assure you that we have some people who take this class just to force themselves to get on a stage. And it is amazing to me how we had one kid, who, an engineer, who said he got no interviews the first time he went to a career. He was a freshman, so maybe there are reasons why, other than comedy. But after he took the comedy class, so he went to the next career fair, that's all anybody wanted to talk to him was he's an engineer and he could tell a joke. <laughs> and I think that being able to get on a stage and do something where you're writing your own original material and presenting it in front of people and not throwing up is a really good skill to have. <laughs> well, thank you for showing that and other skills today at this uh, table with us at Iowa Press. Oh, it's a real honor to be asked. Thanks. Thank you. For everyone here at Iowa PBS, thanks for watching. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday. Funding for Iowa Press was provided by Friends, the Iowa PBS Foundation, the Associated General Contractors of Iowa, the public's partner in building Iowa's highway, bridge, and municipal utility infrastructure. Small businesses are the backbone of Iowa's communities, and they are backed by Iowa banks. With advice, loans, and financial services, banks across Iowa are committed to showing small businesses the way to a stronger tomorrow. Learn more at iowabankers.com.